from the Utah School Counselors Association, this is The Sounding Board, where school counselors share ideas. I'm Nate Webb, school counselor, USCA board member, and every week I'll be speaking with different counselors and professionals that will be giving us valuable information in our counseling world. We cannot wait for you to hear these ideas. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to The Sounding Board from the Utah School Counselors Association. It is February. We just barely had Valentine's Day last week. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Hope you guys had a great week. Um, winter sports are just wrapping up. We had our state um, tournaments uh, are going on right now for basketball. State wrestling just wrapped up. Uh, congratulations to all those athletes and all those coaches who are done now. Um, and school counselors, we are on to the tail end of the year, obviously. We're almost done with third quarter and we're heading into that last quarter of the year where we're doing our CCRs for our juniors and everything getting ready for the future and as we're getting ready and everything I had the thought I was looking across the the, the ASCA magazine for ideas podcast episodes and I saw an article that I really liked about post-secondary planning ethics a lot of us have kids with 504s IEPs and a lot of us are convinced that they are not going to succeed in academia. And a lot of us are convinced that, a lot of them are convinced that they just need to go straight into the workforce. And um, th- th- this article that I'm reading, it's from November of 2023. Um, and there, the the author has said, I um, was got a question. He said, I'm a high school counselor with several seniors on my caseload who have 504 plans and IEPs. And one student's been diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia and is just planning to apply to a four-year college. His parents are concerned about his ability to be successful in college, and they're recommending that he transition directly into the workforce after graduation. How can I ethically meet my student's needs without dismissing his parents' plans for his future? And I know that can be difficult for a lot of us because a lot of us, we want to listen to the kid. We want to listen to their dreams, their plans, and kind of tell mom and dad to respectively listen to the kid. And just P.S., I have a cold right now, so if I sniffle a few times, please excuse me. But it's hard when the kid wants one thing and the parents want another thing. And the parents, obviously, they they do, for the most part, know what's best for their kids. They understand their kids. And when a kid who has not done well in school because of different learning disabilities wants to go to an even more rigorous university, the parents think that that might not work out. Um so here are some things that can help. Now, I want to remind you guys, according to the Ask Ethical Standards, school counselors, we have a primary obligation to students supporting their academic, career, and social-emotional development. However, social, um, I mean, school counselors, not social workers, school counselors, we must also carefully balance our obligation to students while honoring the inherent rights and the responsibilities of parents and guardians. Because school counselors, they can achieve this balance by working collaboratively with parents and guardians to advocate for students to meet their full potential. Because although the, the scenario I read above focuses on a high school senior, it's also important to remember that career development starts at the primary level. In other words, you know, we don't want to wait until high school to begin having post-secondary conversations with students and their families. And so that's why we encourage parents and guardians to be a part of this process by ensuring they stay up to date on their child's career interests and post-secondary plans throughout the K-12 years. It's not just senior year 
when you think about, well, what do you want to do finally? You know, this is something we're talking about K through 12. Our college and career readiness planning meetings, they happen K through 12, not 9 through 12, K through 12. For example, after delivering an elementary classroom lesson on careers within the community or whatever it might be, and then you can suggest questions that parents and guardians can ask to continue the discussion at home. And that's a big thing, continuing at home and getting parents to go into it and then share additional career explorative resources and obviously provide your contact information if parents and guardians have follow-up questions to what's going on. Um, at the secondary level, you can think about offering individualized academic and career planning meetings and inviting the parents and guardians to be a part of this meeting. That is a huge, huge deal. Having a CCR meeting and having a parent present at that meeting is a very big deal. We really want that to happen. Um, having them there helps them to help support their kids' dreams and their plans and everything like that. During the meetings, have students share their grades, standard test scores, results from their career assessments and inventories, their potential electives based on their career interests, and share all of that while the parents are there. Because by doing so, you can ensure that parents and guardians have an integral role in their child's post-secondary plans. And furthermore, these steps open the lines of communication between you and the parents and guardians, which can foster a really good collaborative relationship as both parties work together to support the kid's development. Um, now, as a reminder, Yuska's statement position on the school counselor and students with disabilities indicates that school counselors have a responsibility to assist with developing academic transition and post-secondary plans for students with IEPs and 504 plans as appropriate. Meaning, for students with IEPs and 504s, you can use individualized academic and career planning meetings to work with the students and parents to develop transition plans so students meet their maximum potential at the post-secondary level. If those individualized academic and career planning meetings aren't an option for all students, advocate for those for an IEP 504 transition meeting during the spring of the student senior year because everyone deserves a chance, um, a shot at planning for success. And you can also connect students and families with things like the Disability Support Service Office at their future college, because regardless of whether you have an individualized academic and career planning meeting, a CCR, or an IEP 504 transition meeting, you can educate students and parents on services and or accommodations available at the post-secondary level, whether or not you have that meeting. If they're wanting to go to college, bare minimum, you can let them know, hey, get in touch with your college disability resource center so they can know your support services so they can get help, so they can help you. Um, because it's a big deal. Specifically, it's important to explain to parents and guardians that although IEP accommodations don't transition to the college level, students may continue to receive accommodations and services as permitted by law. However, similar to transitions from elementary to middle school and middle to high school, it's imperative to remind students and guardians that the accommodations that, that may look different at the college level and they need to need to explore alternative accommodations this 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 is a big deal um, a lot of kids expect to get the exact same accommodations that they received in high school when they get to college and it just doesn't work like that 
Um, as they grow, they need to be able to adapt as well because the accommodations are not meant to keep kids stagnant in their academic success. These accommodations are meant to help them to progress in their academic success, which means they need to learn, they need to grow, they need to push themselves. It's not meant to make things easy for them. It's meant to make things doable for them. It still needs to be hard and we still need to help them be able to do hard things. Now, during these meetings, uh, also explain that receiving support at the post-secondary level, it's going to require a greater commitment to self-advocacy. They're going to have to speak up for themselves. Students should advocate for themselves by meeting with their support services office before the classes begin to share like a copy of their IEP, the 504, and just familiarize themselves with the procedures for receiving accommodations and identify the services that the college offers that they may want to use throughout their academic year like the writing center, counseling services, etc. This is going to help ease the transition and ensure students have the tools to meet their full potential beyond high school. Now, when school counselors provide opportunities for parents to come alongside them as they support student development, they foster a really good relationship that advocates for all students, including those with IEPs and 504s, to meet their maximum potential beyond high school. And furthermore, if parents and guardians express concerns about their kids' post-secondary plans, the school counselor can bridge that gap by opening the lines of communication and seeking to understand factors contributing to the parents' preferences for the child's post-secondary plans. Um, there's an experience in the magazine that says, this year my school is hosting a college and career fair for the first time since the pandemic hit in 2020. And as a new counselor, I was excited to take the lead in this event and collaborate with parents and community members. When the school administration reviewed the list of presenters for the fair, they asked why I hadn't invited more people with professional careers to attend. They explained that our school is a high-income area, and many of the students will probably go to a college because their parents and guardians can afford it. How can I explain to them that I have an ethical obligation to ensure that the career fair is for all students, not those who are on track for college or quote-unquote professional career this is an interesting question um, attending college and career fairs throughout k-12 through years it exposes students to a whole variety of post-secondary options and so it's wonderful that this person is incorporating this event within their school counseling program um, school counselors they have an ethical obligation to address gaps in college and career access and to identify intentional and unintentional biases within post-secondary um, counseling and so in this particular case, it seems as though school personnel have some preconceived notions about students' post-secondary plans and the interest based on their parents' jobs and income levels. Probably a private school, uh, probably a rich area, like I said. And they're assuming that students have plans to attend college and pursue certain careers. While this may be the case for some students, it would not be appropriate to apply this thinking to all students, especially right now. I am a huge champion of blue-collar jobs, not your white-collar jobs that require that the high school, I mean the, the college diploma and things like that. Our trade jobs where you go to a technical college for, they are paying a killing now. And a lot of people assume that kids don't want to do that or that parents assume that it's not going to be a good job just because it's a trade school job, when in reality, there's some of the best jobs out there. And so we can't assume students will follow the same post-secondary paths their parents took or choose to attend the college just because they can afford it. 
Uh, because we, we must remember, students can pursue various post-secondary options throughout their lifetime. You know, they're going to have plan A, B, C throughout their whole life. They might go to college and decide it's not for them and quit and then do summer sales and then go g get a trade um, and decide they want to do that for their life. They, they, they can change their minds very many different times. And so we, we, we really must be careful not to limit their opportunities to learn or explore just because our own biases and assumptions. Um, in addition to identifying the biases affecting the student's access to these options, it's also important to remember that school counselors have an ethical obligation to ensure that all students, including those who have been marginalized by the school system, have equitable access to a school counseling program that promotes academic career and social emotional development. Focusing on just one group of students, such as those that are on the path to a professional career, it can cause others to feel marginalized and isolated and even devalued when it comes to their needs and interests. Um, especially when they feel like their needs and interests are just unmet and overlooked, to be honest. Um, furthermore, school counselors, we have an ethical obligation to support students from all backgrounds, regardless of factors, including but not limited to their social class, economic status, or family type. Um, I know that all of us have dealt with counselors where it feels like they just deal with the favorites. They have the kids who have straight A's. They have the kids who are going to college, universities, and those are their favorites they love to have in their office. And it feels like they treat everyone else kind of like a second-class student when that just is not the case. It's old-school thinking, and it's toxic thinking, and we need to change that thinking. Um, as a school counselor... You also have an ethical obligation to address any inequitable system policies and practices affecting students' choices for post-secondary education. So if your school has a history of only focusing on specific options while negating others, it's your ethical obligation to address that disparity and advocate for those students who are being overlooked or left out because of those practices. You need to speak up. If your head counselor is so old school that they are not willing to talk about trades and they only want to focus on college, you need to speak up because that's just not how it works anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. Back in the day, yes, university college, that magic piece of paper was their ticket to life, but that's just not how it works anymore. And even though that's how it was back then, this is how it is now. And it is still our job to advocate for everybody. One way to ensure students' voices are heard in the planning process is by gathering data from them to determine their career interests. By doing so, you can present these options representing all the students' interests. Also, after the career fair, you can have students complete an exit survey to capture relevant details about their experience. Data is how we make change. Anecdotal stories are nice. Don't get me wrong. You can feel good. But data, surveys... Likert scales, data is how you can prove your point and make change. And then you can discuss your concerns with administration to help them understand your ethical obligation and rationale for providing diverse post-secondary options to all students. Um, uh, our, our school counseling departments are required to invite all parents and guardians and students to attend an individual academic planning meeting with the school counselor. It's called your CCR. 
Although we reach out to parents and guardians, often you don't get a response and you're left to host a meeting with just a student. Um, the question arises, is it wrong or unethical to host the meeting with just the student without inviting the parents and guardians? Um, and the answer is yes. <laughs> it is wrong to host the meeting without inviting the guardians. If you invite the guardians and they don't show up and you have to do the meeting anyway, that's one thing. But you have an ethical obligation to involve the parents in the post-secondary planning for their child. And so because of that, by inviting parents, you are demonstrating a good faith effort to collaborate with them and walk alongside with them to support their child. Even though you're like, I know this parent, they're not going to show up. I know this parent, they don't care. Even if you think you know, it is still your ethical obligation to reach out and show your good faith. Um, you have an ethical obligation to advocate for equitable, anti-oppressive, anti-bias policies, procedures, and practices to meet student needs. And so in this case, it'd be important to determine why they aren't attending meetings and maybe adjust policies um, or practices according to ensure you don't further marginalize or oppress students and their families. Um, now, for example, if you're only hosting them during the school day, some families might not be able to attend due to their work schedule. And so providing an opportunity for families to attend meetings outside of school hours or holding meetings at a neutral location, like a library or something, it might yield more participation. Now, I understand you're also people as school counselors. You don't want to work unpaid past your contract hours. And so if you need to, talk with administration about possible compensation for when you have to stay way past your, your time because we want you to be valued as well. We want your time to be respected as well. Um, when it comes to post-secondary planning, there's so much research on the topic and schools often operate differently based on their resources. What are best practices for some um oh i see what's going on the question is what are some best practices um that school counseling teams can implement based on ethical standards um and this can this is going to vary this is going to vary from person to person and so i'm just going to list out a couple of things they listed here um but here's some best practices to consider as you approach your work around post-secondary planning. Listen to the students and advocate for them. Collaborate with the parents. Evaluate policies. Establish community partners. Connect with students and community resources. Expose students to a variety of post-secondary options. Basically, it's all the stuff we talked about. The best practices is to not make assumptions. Involve the parents. Involve the community. Expose students to all the different career options and all the different post-secondary plans and then see what they want to do. Not what mom and dad want them to do necessarily at first, but what they want to do. And then as you collaborate with mom and dad, with the guardians, then you guys can work together to make a great post-secondary plan, a four-year plan to help their child succeed. So there you guys go. Um, that is the, that, that's the episode. That, that's what we got going on today. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. Um, hope you guys have a wonderful February and finish out this term strong. It's crazy that we are nearing the end of yet another school year. So happy that we could be hanging around for yet another season of 
the sounding board from the Utah School Counselors Association. Hopefully, I'll be able to come back and host you guys yet another strong season. We've got a couple more months ahead of us. Um, we're just in the middle of February. we got March and April and May. And then we're going to take a little hiatus during the summer months, obviously, because school's not in session. And then we'll be coming back in August. So there you guys go. Hope you all have a wonderful day, wonderful time. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. Email the sounding board at utschoolcounselor.org to send us your questions and ideas. If you like our podcast, please rate and review our show. It helps other school counselors to find us. Links and additional information for any references from today's episode are in our show notes. Check out our website at utschoolcounselor.org where you can listen to past podcast episodes, register for any of our professional development opportunities, and become a member of the Utah School Counselors Association. USCA members also receive a bi-monthly newsletter to stay up to date on current Utah School Counseling news, events, and issues. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Utah School Counselor and on Twitter at USCA Tweets. The mission of the Utah School Counselors Association is to support professional school counselors in their work for students through advocacy, professional development, recognition, and support. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our members. We'll have more ideas to share with you next week. Let's go.